This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Amen. Stand this morning and look to Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now, how many believe that uh, I can preach a short message? Oh, well, as, as your faith, so it be it unto you. <laughs> no, now how many believe I can preach a short? Oh, yeah, we got a lot of adopters. Amen. All right, Scripture says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto the soul of Jonathan, knit. Everybody say that word, knit. It's okay to talk in church, y'all. I'll come back to that in a minute. Knit with the soul of David. Jonathan loved him as his own what? Soul. And Saul took him that day and would go no more home to where? Notice that. Tell your neighbor, that's important. He would not let David go back to his father's house. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. I want to talk for a moment this morning uh, on a family tradition, a family tradition. Would you be so kind to stretch your hand toward me and ask the Father to anoint me to speak those things he's placed in my spirit. God, I love you today. I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your strength. I thank you for this church. I thank you for precious people that's come to your house to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, who've given in tithes and offerings and worship unto you. But, Lord, it comes time now for the breaking of the bread. I know that I am nothing more than a piece of clay, just a piece of dirt. But God, if you'll touch me and anoint me right now, that I might speak forth those things you've placed in my spirit, that somebody's faith in this house might be increased, that somebody might receive a miracle today from you, God. Not because I'm here, because the King of kings and the Lord of lords and Jehovah God Almighty is in this place. Lord, I pray right now that you begin the process of meeting every need of every heart and every life. In the name of Jesus, I ask this. And everybody said, amen. amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you in the family? And you may be seated. Now, I believe that everything in the Bible is there purposely. I don't have, I'm not one of these people that believe that we just had something that ended up in Scripture by happenstance or chance. That the Bible is a lamp for our feet and a light into our path. It says that about, about his word. And I'm believing that this story that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 18 is there for a reason. Now, let me just break this down right here, first of all. I, I've been in youth ministry a long time, and I've got a custom that as I'm preaching, teaching, whatever you want to call it, whatever I do, I'll leave a blank or I'll ask a question. In school, what do you do when you're asked a question? You just answer. That's exactly right. So if you answer the questions, I'll be done in about 20 minutes. If not, I'm going to be about two hours and miss my plane. So how many is going to help me this morning to answer the questions? All right, glory to God. This is called in, in times, we know this as a blood covenant. What we see taking place in this passage is two young teenage boys going through the process of what would be a blood covenant relationship. Now, this covenant wasn't just some passing thing. It wasn't something that you entered into by happenstance or chance. That if you entered into a blood covenant relationship, it was 
for life. As a matter of fact, it was irreversible, and I'll explain that to you in just a few moments. Now, basically we find there are two young men involved in this blood covenant. The first of all we see was Jonathan. Jonathan is the king's son. Jonathan is the son of King Saul, and I can imagine he must have been pretty much a spoiled brat. You ever met one of them? That was a question right there, church. Everything he had ever wanted, he had had. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And so he has every type of toy and every type of thing that he could possibly want. But yet we find that he's standing in the palace or the White House of the day going through what's called a blood covenant. He's the king's son. Everybody say that, king's son. But the other boy, I don't understand. I understand a king's son being in the White House or the palace. That makes sense. But this other boy is named David. David comes from a whole different background. David is Jesse's son. Jesse is a farmer. Everybody understand, it's in the Bible. He's a farmer. David is the least of this farmer's son. Now, my mother is from South Georgia. She's from Moultrie, Georgia. She grew up on the farm. I'll talk more about that a little later, but I'm just telling you, there's a whole different world and a lifestyle from the farm than those in the palace or those in, in royalty. So David finds himself standing in the palace going through what would be a blood covenant with the king's son. Now, I'll just be honest with you. It really doesn't make a lot of sense why this is happening, but it's in the Bible because I believe it's important. And if it was important back then, I happen to believe it's important for you and I today. I don't believe the Bible is just a book of history, but it is a roadmap. It is a guidebook, and whatever's in there relates to you and me today. How many would agree? Amen. Amen. Now, let's look at this covenant real quick. You see, that if you were going through with this covenant, and I'm not sure where this happened with Jonathan and David. Maybe it was at IHOP or Waffle House. It could have been at Cattleman's. I don't know. That's a great place around here, folks, in case you hadn't been there. But they would have gone to somewhere, sit down, and talked about what this covenant was going to mean. Matter of fact, this covenant is so closely aligned to the marriage contract. It's very close because, you see, back in the day, you used to, like, have a relationship and you spent time together, and then you would ask that person to marry you. You would have this engagement period, and then you would set a date, and then you would have this wedding, and then you got married. That's how it used to be back in the old days. Nowadays, you fall in love today, get married tomorrow, and divorce the next. So it's, it's all changed in our world today, but that's how it used to be. This was a very serious covenant. And so they had sat down and talked about what this covenant was going to mean. It was not a quick decision. As a matter of fact, then there was a ceremony. And if you read this passage on, you'll see that there was a ceremony that took place. And we're going to talk about that in a second. There's sort of an exchanging of some things that represented what they were bringing to the relationship to the covenant. But then they would take a very sharp knife and they would make an incision in the wrist of each one of the people that were going through this covenant. They would make a wound in there. Sometimes it would be like an X, and they would cause that, that arm to begin to bleed. They would take their arms, and they would put them together. Come here, Pastor Chris. They would take their arms, and they would put them together, much like in armor. 
something, but they would put their wrists together, and then they would put some type of leathers or some type of uh, apparatus, and they would leave them like that for up to one hour. Now, the idea was that they wanted the blood from the one individual to be absorbed into the bloodstream of the other and vice versa. You get it now why it's irreversible. You, once you went through this, you could never go back and say, Pastor Chris, I changed my mind. I want my blood back. That's not possible. You can't go into a bloodstream and find the tiny particles of DNA and extract them back out. Once you went through with this covenant, it was for life. There wasn't any backing out. So it was serious. So we find here that they're going through this relationship. And now we find Jonathan, the king's son, is in covenant relationship with Jesse's boy. Now, I'm just telling you, it doesn't make sense. Thank you, Pastor. It doesn't make sense to me why that a king's son who had everything he could ever possibly want would go through something so public in front of all of the king's men and all the generals and all the representatives and all the senators that would go through the process and let it be viewed and recorded that he's going into this blood relationship. But there must have been something, and I had you to say this, that said that Jonathan loved David as his own soul, like a brother. Truly, maybe he just he saw something in him, and he says, you know what, I want a brother like you. I don't have a brother like you. And so he says, I want you in my family. And so the way to adopt David into that family is to go through this process. Now, if I'm David, I totally get it. Listen, if you're from the farm, and you, you, all you've ever had is, is hand-me-downs, See, gener this generation don't know what that's all about. That's where you pass stuff down. Someone else is worn out. My cousin Ward, when he was older than me, when he'd wear something out, I got to wear it. Sometimes mom had to patch it all up. But that's all he'd ever had. He'd never had a whole lot. Matter of fact, he had the least job in the family, which being a shepherd boy. But now he's standing in the palace going through this relationship. Well, I'll just be honest. It doesn't make a lot of sense why Jonathan would have adopted David into the kingdom, but there was another king who sent his son named Jesus Christ because I had been separated from the father by the fall of Adam and Eve. You were separated, but a king's son came to earth and he bled and died and he let blood and water run down Calvary that we might be adopted back into the family of God. And he says, hey, I'm giving my blood and I'm not going to take it back. If you accept me as your Lord and Savior, you'll be back in my family one more time. I don't understand why Jesus did it, but this morning I'm glad that he came and he lived and he died and he hung on the cross that I I might have life and more abundantly and adopted me back into his family. Anybody else thankful for that? Oh, my goodness. Well, let's talk about this family. The first thing that we see was shared, if you read this passage real close, it says that Jonathan took off his robe and put it around David. Not just any robe, church. This robe had been handcrafted for the king's son. It was made of the finest silks and wools and fabrics of the day. Might have been a coat of many colors like we see that Joseph had. He put it around David symbolizing everything on this earth that is mine has now become yours. Now think about that for a second. David's standing there and he puts that king's son robe on him. And I, I imagine David must have thought something like this. Oh, my goodness. Whew. Never had anything that felt like this before. Come on, church. Y'all with me? 
I never had a robe like this. You see, the only robe that I have was that hand-me-down after Eliab and Abinadab and right on down after they had worn it out and torn it. That's what I had. Matter of fact, David, according to the custom, had to take off that robe and put it around Jonathan, symbolizing everything that I bring to this relationship is now yours. <laughs> oh, you don't get it, church. You see, Jonathan placed on him a kingly robe and said, everything that's rightfully mine is now yours. And David said, I really would like to skip this process because this robe stinks and I've been out keeping the sheep and I ripped it in the briars as I was going to rescue and, and it doesn't look very good. It doesn't smell very good. Your robe smells like a king and, and, it, and it feels like a king, but my robe doesn't. But see, the same thing happened when Jesus Christ came. It says that he clothes us in his righteousness. He puts a ring on our hand and he says, I adopt you into the family of Almighty God. You become my family. Everything that's rightfully mine. If you have need of anything in my name, ask in my name, believing, and it shall be done. There was an exchanging of possessions. That's why I'm excited this morning, because I don't have a lot on this earth, but I'm going to a place that they tell me is incredible. They paved the go streets with purest gold. The walls are made of jasper, and the gates are made of pearl. And I got a place there. Why? Because Jesus adopted me into his family. Anybody excited about that today? Woo. So David gives up that robe. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He clothed us in his righteousness. But then he clothed himself in our past, our sins, our degradations. And he walked up Calvary's hill carrying the burden, the weight of everything that had happened and would happen in mankind. And he says, I will take this load on me. God and Father, I will take this. And he walks up Calvary's hill and he's crucified in our robe. Because he's already exchanged and traded. So it tells me today that regardless of what the banker says or your boss says or what you may be walking through, that if you're in the family of Almighty God, that there's been an exchanging and you don't have to bank on this life. There's another life coming. We don't live for this life down here. Our bodies get old. Down here we have aches and pains. Over there, there is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. It's a new day and a new life. I can't wait till that day that he steps on the clouds and says, all right, come on home. I got it ready. I thought about this one day. I was living in Arkansas. And they used to tell stories about Sam Walton. Never, never met him. I don't think I did. But they would say that he would drive an old pickup truck and wear an old hat and he'd just walk into one of his Walmarts, see how they do it. He'd walk in and buy a pack of gum just to see how the service was. Came through Cleveland, Tennessee one time, and I missed it. I was at Big Lots, and he was at Walmart. <laughs> the, the guy waiting on him finally realized who it was and about, about panicked. But I thought, you know, according to Scripture, if I could run Sam Walton down, get my pocket knife and some duct tape in about five minutes, My life would change. Y'all get it? Just five minutes, Sam. Because if you can give me five minutes and let me get this blood transfused here, I'll now have Walton blood in me. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? 
I just read a couple years ago where all of his kids became billionaires, not million billionaires. See, now if I did that, I could walk into a Walmart or Sam's and get the bucket and fill it up, go to the service counter. You know where that's at, right? That's where you go and take all that stuff back somebody gave you at Christmas and get the cash. Yeah, y'all been there. Yeah, yeah, y'all been there. You know, I could just bypass them big old long lines, walk up and say, hey, excuse me, can you just bill this to my, my brother Sam? I got to go and boom, go. Because according to this contract, everything that was rightfully his would have become mine. And all my debt and payments would have become his. Until it hit me that when I said yes to Jesus Christ, I went into a blood covenant relationship worth a lot more money than Sam Walton ever thought about in his life. But he owns the cattle of a thousand hills and the hills that the cows walk on and the water that the cows drink. He owns it all, church. And today we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Therefore, we don't have to go through this life beat down and depressed and and worried. We just say, God, my life is in your hands. The battle is yours, God. I am yours. I'm part of his family. If you're in the family, just give me a heart amen today Woo! I gotta hurry the second thing we see happen in this story Jonathan takes a sword and gives it to David a sword not again just any sword a sword handcrafted for the king's son matter of fact somewhere on that sword is the insignia or the sign and symbol of the household of King Saul now get me church you know, it's kind of like when our president travels. Well, you like him or not, on my, just, you see that seal on the plane, when he speaks, on the car, on the jacket, that seal. You see, regardless of who that is, that seal says that all the military power of the United States of America is behind that seal. There's possibly military people this morning or people that have served. You understand what that is like. doesn't matter who the commander-in-chief is. You are part of the army. Well, you see, Jonathan handed David that sword. And David must have looked at it and thought, my goodness. Woo, I never had no weapon like this. You don't get these out on the farm. You see, David put it in that sheaf. He thought, you just wait till tomorrow. You just wait till I get to school. Zig Ziglar would call it school. Wait till I get to school. I don't have to use the sword. I just need to show you get it, didn't you? I just got to show it. I ain't got to say anything. I just got to show it. Because everybody at school knows what that means. That that is representative of the power and the might of King Saul. Bible says he's given us a sword that's sharper than any two-edged sword to the devouring of bone and marrow that he's given us all power and he says you're not even fighting this battle in your own power but greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world he says you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus why? because he's given us the power and the might of all of heaven and when Jehovah God shows up the devil has to run and flee when God shows up sickness has to run and flee when the power of God shows up things change I'm talking about something in my own life. There's been exchanging of the power. I don't walk in my own power. You don't walk in your power. But you walk in the power of his might. But David, I imagine he thinks about, oh my goodness. Oh no. He has to give up his weapon. 
Help me, church. What's his weapon? Come on, kids. What's his weapon? Slingshot. I'll just be honest. I don't know if I want to do that. He's just given me this incredibly beautifully handmade sword with the insignia. And I'm going to hand him a little homemade, some leather and a patch and some rocks for ammunition. Does that make sense, church? No, it don't make sense. It was symbolic. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, he gives you that sword. And he says, walk in my power. Walk in my authority. Walk in the fact of whose you are now belonging to. But then we have to give to him our weakness and our frailties and our nothingness. Because nothing that we have means anything. We don't have any power. All we have is our weakness. He said, in your weakness, I will make you strong. It is his power. It is his grace. It's not about anything that we can do. We don't walk in our own power we don't have any authority it's the authorities in Christ Jesus the authority is because we're part of the kingdom of heaven because we belong to Jehovah God Almighty I'm talking to somebody here this morning you're walking through a battle you're walking through a tough time the devil's got you convinced that you're going down and you can't make it through I've just come by here to tell you that there is a God who loves you he has given his son for you he shed his blood and he's given you his power to trap trip on serpents and 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 Great and mighty things in his power if you'll believe and trust him today. The last thing is there was a sharing of personhood. It was a name change. Personhood. I had you to see when this covenant was complete, Saul looked at David and he said, Hey, you're not going where? back home you're not going back to Jesse's house what I'm not going back out there no uh-uh. no because now something's changed now you have particles of DNA inside your bloodstream that are royalty and you see royalty has a whole different level of protection no you're not going to live on the farm somebody will attack you Somebody will come after you. So he says, I tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I've already made a room in the palace and I made a place at the table. Sounds to me like if he's going to feed that teenage boy, he's adopted that boy. Don't it? He says, I got a room for you and I'm going to have a place at the table. You see, I, I told him yesterday in the workshop, I said, I was in France here a while back and preaching and many people looking at me like I was, you know, Something from another world. And I said, okay, folks, this time out right here. I'll hold it. I said, I know you're looking at me. I said, man, ain't nobody fat over here. Are y'all skinny? You walk everywhere, you eat the right things. I said, I know you're looking at me and you feel sorry. I said, but where I'm from down in South Georgia, this is a conditioned. It's called big boned. <laughs> I said, I'm the smallest in my family. I, my mama's got four brothers that, that made me look like a midget. I'm serious. Uncle JD was 6'8, about 475. Freddie was about 6'7, about 380. I'm, I'm talking about big boys. You didn't get no chicken leg at Thanksgiving until they got up from the table. I said, what you don't understand either is when I was a small child, I was attached to a machine that kept me alive. It's called a refrigerator, and I'm still hooked up now, glory to God. That's why I'm watching the clock. It's called a hot dog, glory to God. But he made a place at the table for him. 
It was a name change. He says, no longer. See, before this day, his name was David of the household of Jesse. But after this blood covenant relationship, his name changed to David of the household of Jesse, son of King Saul. Can I tell you there's a difference? When you said yes to Jesus Christ, when I came to Jesus Christ, my name was David Carlton Blair of the household of Charles and Joanne, and that was cool. But the moment I knelt at the altar and I said, Lord, forgive me of my sins, take my sins, and bring me into the family, my name changed to David Carlton Blair of the household of Charles and Joanne, son of Jehovah God Almighty. I can't tell you, church. I can't tell you, church. I love my mom and daddy. But being a son of Jehovah God Almighty gives me whole, many more rights and authorities. And being, it tells me that I'm not just locked to this world. My mama brought me in this world, but my Jehovah God's going to take me out of this world. And he's got a place ready for me, and he's got a place ready for you. Best way I know how to explain this. I told you my mama's from Moultrie, had them four brothers. She tells stories that, you know, blood's thicker than water. Y'all heard that, right? On the farm, them Carlton boys would fight like cats and dogs. I know the brothers and sisters here in Oklahoma, y'all don't do that. But down there in Georgia, whoo, my mama fought with them. She's a baby. One, one time, she took a ball bat and she knocked Freddie slap out. It's not them cold. Boom. They thought he was dead. Put him in the back of the wagon. Hauled him to town to the morgue. About halfway there, he woke up and said, I'm hungry. I told you it's in the DNA, church. I'm telling you. <laughs> DNA. But she said they'd fight like cats and dogs. But they'd get in that old wagon on Saturday, go to town to get supplies with granddaddy. They wouldn't be in town very long, and somebody from the city would pick on one of them Carlton boys. My man from Jamaica here says that's the wrong thing. You, you from South Georgia? You sure? No, it's the wrong thing because, see, you didn't fight one of them. You might whip him, but then there's another one. You whip him. You've got to go through all four of them before you're done. Let me tell you something. That's the same way it is in the kingdom of God. Every now and then, we may have some discussions over the color of the carpet, the chandeliers. I know not in Oklahoma and Tennessee. We have some of those spats. Sometimes we, we spat over who's going to, you know, if we're going to sing off the wall out of the red bag, who's going to play the organ or B3, whatever. But you let the devil come pick on one of our young men. You let the devil try to break apart a family in our church. You let the devil come and try to hook one of those kids on drugs. We're going to stand shoulder to shoulder and say, hold on now, devil. Now, we have our own little family get-togethers. We have our only little kumbaya moments, but don't you come pick it on one of ours because, hey, we blood at this church. We blood in the kingdom of God. This is blood you're talking about today, and you better back off. You have no power over us because we're in the same family. We stand Shoulder to shoulder and say, bring it on, devil. You're going to attack one. You're going to deal with all of us. We get on our knees and we pray. And he says, if my people who were called by my name humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven. I will heal their lands. I will rescue them. I'm talking about a family today, church, that is like no other family. The family of almighty God. Anybody glad to be in the family today? I got to close. I got to hurry. All right, you say, how could two 13-year-old boys standing in the palace going through some silly covenant 
affect anybody else? I'm so glad you asked. I'm not going to read the story. It's a great one this afternoon. 2 Samuel chapter 9. David is now king. What? How can David be king? He's Jesse's boy, right? Oh, hold on now. David's king because back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, the, the law said you had to be in the bloodline. What happened? He got adopted. He got qualified. When that DNA ran in his arms and everybody witnessed it, he became eligible for the kingship. But then he had to be voted on by the people. Well, that was easy because he was Saul's front man. They said that he would come back from war and they would sing songs like, oh, Saul's killed his thousand, but David has killed his. Oh. But let me just say this right here. He said there was a period of time while David was being a boy, watching the sheep. As a matter of fact, his, his daddy and his family probably thought he was a little bit weird. You see, he was out there watching the sheep and he had this harp. And he's all the time writing these songs and playing that harp and just, just sort of weird. He wasn't like the rest of the boys. He was playing. He was worshiping God, and he had this intimate relationship with God, and they didn't quite understand it. Can I just tell you, the world has not understood us for a long time in the church. You know, I, I told them uh, yesterday that our family, my daddy, my mom or dad, neither one come from Christian homes. My daddy was in the Air Force in Charleston, South Carolina, had a friend of his from, who was down from Moultrie and knew my mama, and he introduced them. My daddy went down there one weekend on leave, and mama got off the bus, and the rest of his history, they got married. But they didn't have any Christian background, so they got out of the Air Force with the Thomasville, Georgia. Daddy's working at the Volkswagen place. And there's a guy there named Edward Benton from the Church of God. Now, Edward went after my daddy. Friendship. Charles, I want you to go to church. Daddy said, oh, no, 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 no. I heard about you people. I know about y'all. I might go, but it won't be to that church. No, no, no. But he, he hooked him because he got him to go to a men's fish fry. See, I told you about that food, didn't I, huh? He, he went to a fish fry, and he come home, he told mama, said, honey, said, not all them people crazy. I asked if some of them got good sense and thought normal, and so because he felt so bad that Edward just wouldn't leave him alone, he says, okay, Edward, I'm going to your blankety-blank church. And he wasn't Christian, so he goes to church, story, sits in the back row, gets up to leave, and he says, I don't know what it was, I couldn't leave. He said, next thing I know, I'm walking down the aisle. It's convicting fire of the Holy Ghost. He kneels at an altar and says, oh, God, I don't know who these people are and what this is, but I sure need a change, and his life was changed. Well, he goes home all excited, tells mom about it. She says, oh, no, no, no. No, it's going to work on you for three months where I'm going. So my daddy had to walk it out, be a Christian for three months, and my mama three months later got in church and come down and gave her heart and life to Jesus. That's how we got in church, how we came to Christ. So David is king, but... Saul had disobeyed and Samuel was sent by God to Jesse's house. Y'all know this story. And so he says, hey, Jesse, line up all your boys. God's going to pick one of them as king today. That's a great story. I mean, can you imagine if the Secret Service shows up at your house and says, hey, listen, get all your kids out here. One of them's about to be president. That's a pretty cool day. That's better than the lottery. I mean, I'm, hey, I mean, that's, that's great. What's it that millions of readers digest millions? I mean, that's great. 
And so he lines them all up, all but David. And he goes through there. And notice this. Samuel says, Jesse, is this all your boys? The church, and y'all just bear with me for a moment right here. If I got a shot at being the president or the king, and my own daddy don't put me in the lineup and put my name in the hat, me and daddy's going to have a talk. Are y'all okay with that? His own daddy didn't nominate him. So finally, he said, oh, yeah, oh, I do have one. I almost forgot about that boy. A nobody from nowhere. Whose father didn't even put him in the running for kingship? Sent a big old Eliab out there. Said, go watch the sheep and send David to the house. And my version of this story is that the screen door had not shut on the kitchen when Samuel said, and God said, that's him. What? He don't look like a king. He don't walk like a king. He don't smell like a king. He don't act like a king. But God said, he's a king. Every time somebody introduces me as international whatever, I think, oh, Lord, I'm the last person. I didn't even come from a a long line of Christians. Yeah, my dad's been a pastor for years, but Lord, I, I'm a nobody from nowhere. David was a nobody from nowhere, but, 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 he, but Jonathan saw something in him. And so now David's king, and he asks a strange question. He says, hey, boy, he said, is there anybody in the house of Saul still alive? Why was that strange? Because when a king went out of power, the entire family was killed. Anybody in the family was killed. And I imagine for a few minutes it was probably choking and drinking water and thinking, oh, my goodness, he's not going there. Finally, Ziba speaks up. He said, king, there's one, but let me tell you a story. Listen, it's, it's Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. His name is Mephibosheth. But listen. When the nurse who was keeping him heard that Saul was dead and Jonathan was dead, she, in order to protect him, ran into the valley. In the process of running away, she tripped and she dropped this boy. And because she dropped him, he's crippled. And said, a matter of fact, king, said he lives in the valley of Lodabar. Lodabar meaning desolation, dryness, despair, and depression, nothingness. He's not going to cause you any trouble, king. Leave him alone. You're 98% of the polls. Let him be. And David said, go get him and bring him to me. You know what's amazing to me, pastor? In that day, without text message, internet, social media, satellite TV, bad news still travel faster than good news. When those men came to Lodabar, Mephibosheth knew why they were there. And so he goes to me and says, hey, guys, listen, hold on now. Y'all know what's happening here. Y'all see this. Look at me. I can't even walk. Look around me. I'm living in a dump. I'm eating out of the garbage piles. I don't have a quality of life. I am not massing an army. I'm never going to claim the throne. I Just let me live in these conditions. Tell the king. I, I, I salute him. I honor him. And don't take me. And they said, we're under orders. You've got to take me to the palace. And they armed him up. I imagine the entire world negotiating. Man, just drop me off right here. Can you just let me off right here? Y'all know if you go, I'm a dead man. Y'all know the law. I'm dead. Great story. They bring him in before David. They put him down. Mephibosheth starts begging for his life. Oh, king, live forever. Oh, king, I am nothing more than a dead dog. I know that I should have been dead a long time ago, king. But I promise you, king, I'm living in depression and dryness and nothingness and despair. And I'm even crippled. I get the leftovers from the dump. I'm never going to cause you any problems, king. Just let me be. 
And David told his men, he said, get him up. Stand him up so I can look him eyeball to eyeball. He said, son, let me tell you a story. He said, when I was a nobody from nowhere, when my own daddy wouldn't even put me in for this job, my father forgot about me, that my daddy wouldn't even put me in a lineup, and nobody would have anything to do with me. They thought I was some crazy guy out there playing a harp, just worshiping God. Your father, Jonathan, saw something inside of me. And because he became my friend, because that he loved me, we stood. You said, you see that blood right there? You see the blood drops on the floor. That's my blood and that's your daddy's. Where we made that commitment. And he said, because that I was adopted into the family. He said, because of that day, you're not only Jonathan's boy. He said, but somewhere in your veins is some of my DNA. He said, somewhere inside of you is my blood. Church, I don't know if you get that or not. But he said, somewhere in there is my blood and you are my son. You're just as much a part of this kingship as you were Jonathan and Saul's because of that exchanging of the blood. He says, not only are you in the family, but while you were yet coming from afar, I had the construction crew making a handicapped room in the palace. Does it sound familiar, church? He made a room for that boy. And guess what? He said, and every time I eat, you gonna eat. Woo! You ever research what a king ate? People, they pushed that old boy up there in the wheelchair, made the first handicapped elevator, and they push him up there, and he's like, oh, my goodness. Black-eyed peas and cornbread and banana pudding and ribeye steak medium well plus. That's what they had. I'm sure it is. Apple pie, all a mode, and had ice cream on it too. And that boy's sitting there going, like, I've been eating out of the dirt. I've been eating out of the out of the dump. And you're telling me that I'm gonna eat this every meal. And Jesus says, I've done the same thing for you. And so when he hears that we're in Lodabar, when he hears that we're in Lodabar in our health and the doctor says, I can't help you anymore. I can't do anything for you. He says, hey, 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 can't you just bring them to me because I created their bodies. I could recreate them in a matter of moments' time. When he hears that we're suffering and that we're in depression and anxiety and worry and fear, he just wants to remind us of exactly whose we are, that we're a child, a son, and of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jehovah God Almighty, I've come by here this morning just to remind somebody of exactly who you are. You're part of the family of Almighty God. Jehovah God the Father is our Father. And regardless of what your situation, your circumstance might be today, he says, the king says, come on, push up to the table and taste and see just how good he is. Somebody come and play. Stand to your feet. Sis, would you put my last slide up? I forgot all the rest of them. It don't matter. Years ago, I spent a lot of time on the continent of Africa, building ministry training centers, hospitals. And a few years ago, there was an incredible outbreak of the Ebola virus hit Liberia. 
because it's such an incredible disease and was killing entire nations. Doctors Without Borders sent a team of doctors to go there and begin to administer medicines and try to save as many of the people, especially the children, that, were, that they could get saved. One of those doctors, while working there, was exposed to the virus and came down with Ebola virus. They put him on a plane, sent him to Atlanta, Georgia, the Emory University. Dr. Kent Brantley was rushed in there, and they started administering this antibodies, and it looked like he was going to die. But about the fifth day, it's like he just made a turn real softly. He made a turn, and he began to live. Within two weeks, he walked out of Emory Hospital completely, totally healed. Amen. He goes home. He's watching the news. He sees the report of several other doctors who have contracted Ebola, and they sent them to Houston and Dallas and Denver and, and places all across New York, across the United States. He tells his wife, he says, take me to the hospital. He gets in the car, goes to the hospital, crawls up on a gurney, and says, all right, take my blood. What are you doing, doc? He said, take, my, take as much blood as you can and let me live. He said, take my blood, divide it, and take it to every hospital and inject it into those veins. Hold just a minute. Hold just a minute. I want you all to hear this. He said, inject my blood into those veins. And those doctors who were infected that were dying, all of a sudden started making a turn. And every doctor lived. Why? Why did he do that? Because his body had developed the antibodies that would kill that virus. He says, take, it doesn't have to be a lot of my blood. He says, just take a dose. Give it to them. Those antibodies that have built up the strength will go into their body and kill that virus and they live. Why? Because they were injected with the blood of an overcomer. Can I tell you this morning that if you've accepted the blood of Jesus Christ on your life, that you have access to the blood of an overcomer. And you don't have to be in Dolubar. You don't have to live in desolation. But the blood of Jesus Christ, it still heals. It still delivers. It still saves. It still renews. It still revives. It still brings together. And I'm telling you that the Spirit of Almighty God is in this place today. Now, I don't know your path. I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstance. But I do know that God ordained my steps to be here today. And here's all I'm going to tell you. Is that if you accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, you have access to whatever you have need of. That you have a king that's inquiring about you. And maybe you're just feeling low. Maybe you've been going through a battle all week long or all month long or all month. But I'm telling you that the spirit and power of Almighty God gives us access. If you'll just trust and believe, God said he would meet you at your point of need. If you're here today, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. The greatest decision you could ever make is to accept the blood of Jesus Christ on your life. To say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and my past. Take on my old robe of nothingness and take on the robe of righteousness. The greatest decision you could ever make. Maybe you're today, you're here today, and the doctors have said, Hey, ain't nothing more we can do. Doctors are limited, but that's where God picks up and says, I have all sufficiency. He can heal our bodies. 
in a matter of a moment's time. I'm going to pray while I'm praying. If you want to come today for prayer, whatever you may need of, maybe you're going to come because you got lost loved ones. you got sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, moms, and dads who are away. The blood will reach them. The blood was there for them. They could be adopted in this family if we'll believe and trust that while I'm praying, if you'll step out of your seat, come meet me here. We're going to pray, and I'm done. Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you for this day, this hour, this moment. I thank you for this church and the history that it has. Lord, it's a giving church. It's a loving church. It's a community outreach church. And God, I thank you for that. But today, Lord, I pray that you touch us, the family. Lord, there's people here who just need the love of Jesus Christ to wrap their arms around them and let them know they're going to be okay and everything's going to be all right. There are people that need a healing in their bodies today. I pray that as they take steps out of their seat, it would be steps of faith walking to the cross saying, God, I'm believing you for a healing. I'm believing you, God, for a touch in my life, my mind, my body, my soul, my spirit. I give it to you. There are people today who have lost loved ones who need to come to Christ today as they take those steps. They are phys- they're physically walking, but in spirit, they're bringing those loved ones and laying them on the altar saying, God, I give them to you one more time. There are people today who need a miracle in their finances. Maybe they've lost their job. Maybe things aren't going well in their marriage. Whatever is needed today, I pray that you would move on behalf of your family today. The family that's been adopted into your your family by your blood. In the name of Jesus, I ask right now. In the name of Jesus, would you come right now? If you need to pray, if you need a miracle, come on today. Your family, you need a touch. Maybe you know somebody in Lodabar. You want to come. The Bible says you can stand in. You can call for the elders of the church, and we can believe together, and God change their life. Regardless of what you might need, can I get some prayer warriors to come and to help me in just a moment to pray over these that have already stepped down today? Would you come today? Would you believe today? Would you trust God today? I feel so strongly there's somebody in Lodabar. There's somebody living beneath the the presence of God. And God would have you to step out of your seat. Join us today. Step, Walk out. You may have to limp out of Lodabar, but limp from where you are and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm believing you. Would you stretch your hands this way, church? Let us believe right now.